You're listening to the Can Dare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! He's gonna take you back to the past To play the shitty games that suck ass He'd rather have a buffalo Take a diarrhea dump in his ear He'd rather eat the rotten asshole Of a roadkill skunk and down it with me He's the angriest gamer you've ever heard He's the angry Nintendo nerd He's the angry Atari Sega nerd He's the angry video game nerd Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley and we're giving you an extra episode this week to bring you a very special interview we got with an awesome guest. On his website, Cinemasker.com, you can watch uh, book, games, and movie reviews as well as uh, some original shows like James and Mike Mondays and Board James. But he's probably best known as the angry video game nerd. We welcome actor and independent filmmaker James Rolfe to the show this week. We talked with James about how he got his start into filmmaking, uh, what exactly goes into making an Angry Video Game Nerd episode, and then we talk about some of the uh, movies coming out this summer, some of the big blockbusters. So uh, this just all around was a fun interview, and uh, we hope you have just as much fun listening to it. So without further ado, here is our interview with James Rolfe, the Angry Video Game Nerd. James, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. We're all big fans, and it's just a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Oh, absolutely. Thanks. So uh, how's your day been going? Good. Uh, just normal. Normal. What's a normal day at Cinemasker consist of? Just waking up and working on videos, pretty much. But then <laughs> also just dealing with lots of bullshit that you'll never see. So, right. Uh, I can imagine. Like, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, Like, what did I do today? I didn't really get as much done as i thought i would and then you're like oh yeah i had to take care of this and that and whatever <laughs> that was my day at work today actually yeah i look back i really didn't do much but i guess that makes it a good day at work yeah okay <laughs> what type of work printing okay like uh like graphic stuff or uh yeah print shop okay it seems like the ratio of nonsense dealt with to like entertainment produced is not favorable, you know. <laughs> right. Anyone oh, yeah. who puts anything out there suffers through a fair bit first. Right. Yeah. Well, it's again, it's really awesome to have you here. And um, before we start, I wanted to ask you. We typically ask a lot of our guests. You know, you obviously are pretty in touch with pop culture. Did you ever read, or do you still read comics? Sometimes, uh, not as often as I'd like to. Uh, it seems nowadays, whenever I'm consuming anything of entertainment value it, uh, m most often it's for the purpose of doing some type of video sure um yeah comics well i have it's been a while um last thing i was reading was those wizard of oz books because i did a series of videos about them oh right yeah that was very enlightening yeah i never knew there was so much backstory to the wizard of oz mm -hmm. uh, until you put those videos up so uh yeah, thanks for enlightening me. <laughs> yeah. It's surprising how much there is to it. The rich mythology of the Wizard of you know, yeah, well, Oz. How far really does expect. it go back? How many books yeah. were there, actually? Uh, I believe, if I remember now, I mean, it just, it's been a few weeks since I did the video, but I think there was 14 books by the original author, um, L. Frank Baum, and then uh, 
somebody else continued uh, and you know picked it up afterwards. So some people don't consider that official. Um, others do. And then I think I think in total there's like forty something books, and then I, I don't know if anybody continued it after that, but I think that was pretty much like the the, the official, uh, you know, books. And uh, it, most of them are public domain now, and it's pretty amazing that they haven't been adapted as much as you'd think. It's crazy that would fall into public domain. Yeah, really. Yeah, it, it strikes me as something so specific that there's right. got to be somebody protecting it with their life. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, uh, I think they just didn't renew it. And, uh, <laughs> just let time, it slip. Yeah, in the 80s, a lot of them started going into public domain, and that's when the movie Return to Oz was made. That was made after after the franchise had made it to public domain? Uh, there was a few of them in public domain at that time. Wow, I had no idea. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, and at this point, I think most or all of them are in public domain. That's crazy. That just blows my mind. Hell, Dracula's public domain. Is it really? It is, yeah. True, yeah. Dracula. Um, Oh, boy. I I went through the most intense research about King Kong recently to figure out (laughs) who owns King Kong. I actually got on the phone with my attorney for like an hour and was just talking about like like we were digging up these old documents. Like, who owns King Kong? Is it actually universal? Uh, But well, that's a whole other story. I mean, it'll be in a video soon. But, uh, man, it was really complicated. I can imagine. So are you are you pretty uh, stoked to see the new King Kong movie then? Was it Kong? Uh, I did. Yeah, I hope it's the first movie where he doesn't die in America, at least. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a good the point. <laughs> yeah, the Toho ones. I think they let him live both of them, but yeah, <laughs> kind of hard getting behind the whole setting when you sort of know how it's going to play out. You know? <laughs> it's the same reason I've yeah. never read the Bible start to finish. It's like, <laughs> come on, you know, we all know where this is going. <laughs> I just can't wait to see John C. Riley. He looks hilarious in it. He does look funny in that movie. Yeah, he does, for sure. Yeah, John Goodman and Samuel L. Jackson are always awesome. It's you a winning beat combination. that combination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've been watching your videos, man, for years, and the entertainment uh, hub that you've made of Cinemassacre.com is really impressive, and I think that's kind of maybe what we strive to do someday. I mean, I want to yeah, branch out to more than just a podcast. Right. It's one of those things that's really intimidating to see, and, mm-hmm. and to, to see something that's established and successful and well-known and, and, and well-received and think to yourself, oh, my God. How much of a nightmare must it have been making this happen? You know, the years of struggling and working on it and, and putting the effort forth. And you uh, you started making movies at a very young age. How old were you when you uh, made your first movie? Uh, I think the first thing you could really con- – the first thing I counted was in 89. Um, I was nine years old then. It's called Jimmy Rolfe versus the Punching Bag, but I, I, I wouldn't really count that nowadays. <laughs> but, uh, um. Yeah, that that was the first one that I officially counted on my filmography, but it became more and more like movies as it went on. I think like the first thing where there was actually some kind of story to it, I was like 12, and uh, it, but it was with action figures. And then you can count the first thing I did where it was live people, and then you can count the first thing where there was actually a script or first thing where I edited it. But yeah, I always go back. The one that really was the turning point was A Night of Total Terror, and that was 20 years ago now. So that was, wow. well, it was in 96, so a little more than that. But that was the first time where I think I was like, um, 
where I was like, oh, I like how this is turning out. I think I want to keep doing this and try to pursue this as a career. And uh, you always keep thinking like, oh, like, where am I going to be 10 years from now? Or like, what's going to happen? Um, and you're like trying to plan out your career and you go to college and you, you do all these things and you, you plan it out so much. And then you don't, you don't stop and realize like if you're as soon as you're doing what you enjoy doing, then you've already done it. Like you're there, like that's all that matters. Sure. So like I, I may, I may have been overthinking it back then, but, but still I was, I was enjoying it. So like as soon as you say you're a film director, then you're a film director. You got to kind of live in the moment. I mean, if you're doing it, yeah, celebrate it. Yeah. Now, I uh, had also read that you, uh, what started all this for you, and it really resonated with me because it's what got me into sound too, was for like Christmas, you got a, like a portable tape recorder. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's the exact same thing <laughs> with me. I think I've actually said that on the yeah. show before. Just, oh, cool. It's so funny how something so simple can open your mind to uh, so many different possibilities. Just totally you know? change the direction. I mean, if your yeah. parents had given you like a crack pipe for that Christmas instead, <laughs> who knows? We well, might be not now. be sitting here today, yeah. Jake. <laughs> uh, the best crack experts. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Crack Day. Welcome to Canned Crack, yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing I had read was that uh, you used Mario paint in a lot of the production of some of those early films. I'm just very curious to find out how you did that. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was when Mario paint was new, and there wasn't even really much of a way to record game footage other than, you know, hooking it up to a VCR, and, and it worked. Um, so you do one image or like one thing in mario paint and you know how, how you'd have that four frame or, or like eight, what was it eight like you could go up to right. like animation in there so you do something really simple like that and that's just one part of the project and then you would um you would have to you would record it and then you would erase it so now it's gone <laughs> and then you wow. start a new one because you could you couldn't save more than one in mario paint good right. lord yeah but uh no that that was fun yeah. Yeah, Mario Paint was a lot of fun, but at the same time, even when it was new, I, I just remember it being so difficult to use. Like, uh, the only thing I really ever uh, concentrated on was the music part. It was so fun to put the music notes in and hear your little songs. Gotcha. Get made. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Love those uh, three songs that they had in there already. <laughs> you could uh, replace parts of them with, like, you know, the dogs or the cats and see how it sounds. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Man, yeah. I've, I've butchered up some songs on there. Let me tell you <laughs> a lot about. of people are yeah, doing similar. Them up <laughs> and you just, you know, experiment with it. It's fun. Though. Yeah. Mario Paint was really like amazing when it came out, even though it's so limited and, and it was so crude, but it was just like, like that was all you had. And, you know, it must have been a, uh, and maybe you have an answer to this, like a commercial flop, because I would have thought that Nintendo, you know, throughout all the different generations of consoles, they would have continued to, uh, you know, release Mario Paints like they it's did with like every other Mario Super game. Mario Maker has a lot of similar features. It's, you know, geared toward actually making the levels. That's but they're more people... making the game rather than, like, drawing. And yeah, like but making... they, they use that format to create music and all kinds of mm. weird 
That's a game well, I really want to try out as Mario Maker. It's, well, it's like it's fun. Clear your schedule, man, because like once it gets <laughs> its hooks in you, you're dead to the world. Do you have it? No, but my friends do. I was going to say you have another anymore. game that you're not telling us about. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine it'd be like RPG Maker where you start getting oh, into dude, it. Don't even get me started. Yeah, I don't have time. Yeah, I don't have time oh, for wow. that anymore. <laughs> Oh, if I had that kind of stuff when I was a kid, oh man, I right. would be, I would be spending so much time on that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be about two hundred pounds heavier if that came out ten years ago. Yeah. Just a troglodyte. Yeah, I used to try and make RPG games using GW Basic. Sometimes you get like games uh, like on the computer, and where you, there was like some command that you could type in, and then it like it lists like the whole code for the game, and I would. Um, I would mess with that and then start figuring out how it worked. And um, I was working on this Godzilla RPG game. Never finished it, but um, I mean, it was—I mean, it was terrible, but it, it was something to do. I already <laughs> want to play it. So, <laughs> <laughs> wish I had it. Like, wish there was some way I could uh, get that bag. I, th- I think it's. It's gone with the computer at whatever flea market it went to. <laughs> it's that same way with, like, a, I think PlayStation 2 had an RPG builder on it, and it was complicated as hell to use. But, you know, even if you do master building a game, it's stuck on that, that console, right, that yeah. memory card. You know, you can't, like, give it to a friend. To, well, maybe you can if you just give them the memory card. Well, you might be able to. I know, because I, I have it for my PC, and you can just give the executable file to your friends and they'll play it. Right. Well, back in the day, though. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that always appeals to me, the idea of, like, making your own content mm-hmm. in a game or something. But by the end, I just end up making something really elaborate that's just for me. Just like, yeah, I did it. Oh, yeah. I, I can't. I don't think I'd be able to tell a story in a video game. I'm not a great storyteller. It just would be one boring-ass game if I made it. But um, anyway, so with all the knowledge and the resources you have now, you know, through all the years of making your movies and videos, have there ever been any of those old movies? Um, for instance, uh, Jimmy Roll versus the Punching Bag. Like you've thought of remaking. Is there hope for a director's cut? Is what he's asking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, probably not. But uh, there, there are some old concepts, though. I thought of remaking. Really? Um, like sometimes, you know, you might pick up pieces of ideas that you had a long time ago and, and think, like, oh, I, I, I could use this. I, could, you know, th- this could be done better. None of them as the the um, there's no individual film I I think I would remake but there's sort of like little traces or aspects of old ideas uh, that that get repeated. Actually, I think even um, you know major film directors seem to repeat a lot of the same ideas a lot because there's something in, that sticks with you like since childhood. I think a lot of my ideas always have like all my films always seem to have a nightmare scene. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm just, like, really fascinated with dreams. So I'd always have scenes where somebody, like, you know, slips into a a dream and they – and it's always something that's, like, you know, important to that character. Like, some kind of uh, deep psychological thing that propels them on their journey. I dig that. Like, I I get that, the idea of having something that's – something very personal that's always been with you and – finding new ways to kind of present that. I don't yeah. have those kind of dreams. No? No, I always dream I'm at an amusement park for some reason. Oh, Different stuff's always happening, but whatever's happening at an amusement if, park. If we didn't have, like, an esteemed guest with us right now, I'd launch into a three-hour diatribe about my weird-ass <laughs> dreams. <laughs> okay, here's wait. why you fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, so then 2004 comes along, and this is when you start making your uh, angry Nintendo nerd movies at the time. And it wasn't until 2006 that Mike Matei talked you into putting them online. So what were you, what was your original intentions for those movies before you decided to put them on YouTube? Um, it was just another thing. Um, but like it, it was like, oh, I think this is a really funny idea. I'll show it to some friends, and that that was it. Uh, then it just they were on VHS tapes and they just sat in the closet. But uh, YouTube didn't exist yet. And then as soon as it did in 2006, as you mentioned, or I think it may, it may have been like late 2005. But as soon as YouTube started getting like big, um, I started posting a lot of my old Cinemassacre videos on there. And then Mike had this idea. He made this separate channel called James Nintendo Nerd and was like, oh, let's put those those Nintendo nerd videos on there. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then, uh, you know, that started building up, um, momentum. And it seemed like with every video, it was like more people would keep coming out like, Oh, you got to do more. You got to do more. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's cool. I mean, if people really enjoy these, I'll keep doing them, uh, cause they're fun. And, uh, and I just took it from there. Incredible. And my God, how it's grown. What was <laughs> it like episode five that you finally went viral? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess each one was more and more like, like five must have been Ninja Turtles, but it seemed like each one got bigger than the last pretty much. I mean, not that they got better. I, I didn't really like some of those I did in there, like Mick Kids and Master Chew, like some of those early episodes I thought sucked, but <laughs> um, <laughs> the Top Gun one was, was all right, though. Oh, absolutely. And I had the exact had same to... problem you did. I could never land that yeah. damn plane. <laughs> I just yeah, quit trying. It's all about finding those parts in the game that you can, uh, that other people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And um, those always become like the best moments, like, you know, the nerd trying to land the plane, because then we were able to like bring it back in other episodes and, and keep making reference to it. Like he's still trying to land the plane. You know? Right. <laughs> well, it was that TMNT video that one, I think, got me uh, hooked onto your videos and two has been the topic of several conversations. Yes, yeah, so it's come up it's a lot like of the gateway drug, right around this know? table, just because uh, I loved that first game. You know, when it was out, I played the crap out of it, but I always got stuck in one spot. I think it was in the dam climbing through the dam. Yeah, uh, and I, there was always a hole I could never get over until I watched your video and you say you can walk right over the damn thing. Boy, was I salty! God damn it. I was. I was like, you got to be kidding me! This is crazy. <laughs> so, how quickly then after you were online? You said this was like a gradual progression. How quickly before you were like viral and you were getting all this attention? I, I can't really pinpoint a, a spot. It, like it just seems to me like it was just each video kept you know getting more popular. Right. But Ninja Turtles is the one I would pr- probably say because that, that was the first one on Screw Attack. Um, like that, that kind of had a lot of firsts with that video. Sure. And then uh, the, the the Mick Kids one was the first one to have the theme song by Kyle Justin. And then I think uh, then the first one to have like a, a guest character like Jason Voorhees was was that same year. <laughs> it was in, for Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, it was just like, and then it changed it to Angry Video Game Nerds. So it was like, there was just kind of like a new event with each one. So what was the the sudden exposure like, having all the fans reach out to you? And just, what was that like? Well, it was cool, because it was like, you know, that's why you do these things, to get um, people to, like, to, to entertain people. Because, like, you know, when I was making films back in high school, there there was no such thing as YouTube. 
and there's just like not really much of a way to get it see it was more of a challenge to get somebody to see something you had to like bring a vhs tape you know in on the school bus and be like hey hey, check this out and like you passing tapes around to each other and everything it's like it wasn't like this at all and then when when that happened it was just like weird it was like all right well all these people are are apparently out there in the world watching it but it still was like how does this seem like it doesn't seem real and then uh, I remember the first time where people would start recognizing me in public. Then I was like, "Oh wow, that's so awesome! Somebody actually seen this, and they li- and they liked it, and everything." It definitely like filled um, an empty spot where it was like now it it feels like okay, um, now I know people are being entertained that they're uh, they're actually seeing the work I do. That's got to be a that's, great feeling. Yeah, and that that's what what everybody's you know like wants to do. But at least you know you got to you got to like what you're doing first. Uh, you know you got to enjoy what you're doing before other people see it. Right. Uh, yeah. And you've uh, continued to get you know all kinds of attention over the years, and you've even had a, a video game. I mean, the Anger Video Game Nerd has his own video game. <laughs> I imagine that had to have been surreal. Yeah, there's a bunch of fan games prior to that, and um, they've all done different things and all really creative. And then uh, there's been two official games um, that that I was involved with recently. So, yeah, that's that's cool. I hope we do another one sometime. Must be nice being validated for your contributions to the entertainment world because we're just sitting here (laughs) waiting for that moment. (laughs) And it's going to be harder for us because people can't don't have a face or anything to see. They can't. They won't be able to recognize us. Uh, Just just imagine the most handsome three people you can. (laughs) You have to tell them stay away from our YouTube page then. (laughs) (laughs) Don't shatter the delusion. Oh, my God. Well, some of my favorite videos I just well, got to get out there. One was plumbers don't wear ties. I mean, that was just <laughs> yeah. demented. I had no idea this thing existed. And, my God, it just it just was disturbing that anyone would even let that yeah. out into the world. And, and that's it, a video I, I, I don't even need to do anything with. It's just look at the game. Like, just, <laughs> I didn't have to say anything. Like, it's, it was really like – like, it was kind of just – exposing things at that point it wasn't even like like what do you say about plumbers don't wear ties just look at this ridiculous game shit writes itself <laughs> yeah it just wrote itself like there's just something very unsettling disturbing about that game that i i can never portray to you guys here haunted many a dream yeah, but, uh, <laughs> and of yeah, course it's funny, every time someone brings up that game because like, I, I remember like i was so hard on myself with that episode because i'm trying to write things for it i'm like what do i say about this like, you know <laughs> So when you bring that up, then it, it reminds me, like, okay, well, that's pretty much the point. Just look at the game. Yeah, it writes itself. You can't, you can't write this. Practically shit. a public service announcement. Just please, for the love of God, <laughs> avoid, avoid this game. nightmare. That and uh, Bible Adventures. I was, oh, I was one of the children that had that game. And anytime yeah. anyone came over, like, what the, what the fuck's that blue powder blue Nintendo cartridge over oh, there? Oh, that's you know? the blessings <laughs> of our Lord. And you kind of like kick it under. Oh, that's nothing. Not nothing. But uh, I, you know, I had no idea no one knew that existed. So that was uh, some more validation right there. It's to see you talking about that, like, wow, I wasn't alone. People, yeah, people <laughs> know the pain. So with mm-hmm. with your videos, I know it probably varies depending on the type of production you're doing in each video. But on average, what would you say an angry video game nerd episode? How much time does that take to put together for you? Uh, it totally depends, but on on average, I would say forty hours. So like, oh wow, if you if you are able to devote like eight hours a day 
um, you could potentially get one done in a week. I remember when I was doing them by uh, uh, bi-weekly, so it was like basically like two a month, and sometimes there'd be an extra week in the month. But uh, I remember then I was like, still, I was working on so many different videos at the same time. It was just really tough to squeeze in. But uh, yeah, usually about forty hours, and um, the more complicated ones can take like a hundred sometimes. Like, wow. Uh, there's been a few that have passed the hundred mark. Um, like some some that come. Actually, the most recent one, the uh, Sega Activator, that that was over a hundred hours. Was that the Christmas one, right? Yeah, the the, the recent Christmas one. It, it, that was one of the most time consuming ever. Um, the record now is held by uh, Mega Man, which was just a year ago. Uh, that one was like over 130 hours. <laughs> Holy God. cow. Yeah. Before that, the record was held by Rob the Robot. That was like very close to that, like 130 or 125, something like that. That's, so, yeah, they're crazy. extremely time-consuming. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to go with it. There's so much to It's like I could write a book on on it like how much goes into making them you should write a book i'd read it (laughs) yeah i actually plan on it one day um i have a lot of it written but it's just there's so much work left to do on it that you know i don't know when i'm gonna get the time to finish it up and and plus it's not like something that really has a a hurry because it's an autobiography but it's mostly about um pre-nerd like beforehand like like what led up to it um, but it also, I, I plan to go into the nerd era as well, but it's almost starting to sound like two books, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can't and finish a book till you know the ending, right? So, right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, people write autobiographies when they're, like, in their 60s or whatever, you know, it's like, and I'm only in my 30s, and, and you know, still I feel like there's so much to write down that, uh, you know, at least to get it written and then just figure out like, okay, well, what, what do I want to include? What do I want to like, you know, to, to cut out, to make it shorter. So, yeah. Well, like you're saying though, a lot of people who write their autobiography are older and, you know, don't stop to think about it until then. And a lot of details probably gone by the wayside, left their memory by then. You're documenting this as you go. So yeah, it's going to be to have it fresh, a like very that, rich yeah. autobiography. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I don't have a lot. I'm like right now it's only up to like when I'm in in college but only like early years in college so it's like there's so much more that there's so much that's happened uh in the past like 10 15 years that didn't make it in yet and I'm like trying to like recall things that were like I know that this was like this really important thing but I can't it's it's hard to like dig up all the details and stuff so sure um, it, it would have been easier if I was writing it all as I went along, but um, but that's not really the case. But at the same time, memory can be a good filter sometimes. So usually you tend to remember the most important things, and then you can scrap the rest. Well, when the book is ready, you've got your first three sales right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and kind of on that note, I had sort of a personal question for you. Mm-hmm. Before you begin working on a video or, or, or start working on the, the major portions where you're front and center, do you have any kind of any kind of ritual or process mm. that sort of gets you in the zone for that? You know, I just pray I don't make an ass of myself before every episode. <laughs> I want to know what, okay. like, a pro does to get themselves yeah. there. Uh, I mean, it's all in the script. It's like if you, if, even if I were to get a script from somebody else, if, like, someone were to say, like, hey, I got this character I wrote for you, 
Um, it doesn't happen much. I'm, I don't usually act in other people's things, but I do sometimes. But if someone were to just give me a script, then I could just become the character right away. Um, especially when I'm writing my own, it makes it a lot easier. But that's pretty much it. Like, there's no time in between the script and the shooting where where I prepare for it. It prepare for the acting part. It's really just. Uh, I hope I'm answering the question. No, I? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about like to get into the character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty much just when I write the script, that's the whole pre- preparation. It's actually happening as I'm writing. Okay. In fact, when I'm writing the script, sometimes I'm actually saying the parts out loud as I'm writing them just to see how they sound. Because sometimes you write something and then you go to say it and it doesn't really sound like you're saying it naturally. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. We've run into yeah. that before. Yeah. <laughs> How many times we've uh, messed up a recording and had to go back oh, and make sure. it sound authentic? It's the magic of editing. <laughs> yeah. So even when I write, I try to write in a very like human speech. Sometimes, like I write in parts where like I'll, I'll write a pause in there, and I'll, or I'll write "damn it" or like you know whatever. So mm-hmm. I just try to make myself sound like I'm really talking fluently like naturally yeah i get appreciate it. that i'm gonna yeah. have to start preparing elaborate scripts before every episode now yeah. <laughs> all your quips and one-offs the music stand in front of me a yeah, bunch of flashcards. like okay hang on give me a second guys i wrote something for this scenario so yeah. before you even get to a script what's the criteria for a game to be worthy of making a video or is it just as simple as this is a bad game we can make a video what do you look for in a game before you decide I'm making a video on this one. In the old days, if it was bad, that was usually good enough. I could work a lot of jokes into it. But now, if I if I just take any bad game, chances are I'm repeating the same type of vocabulary as in older episodes. So I need to keep it fresh and new. So whenever I'm looking at a game nowadays, I'm looking for unique criticisms that I haven't done before. And then that's hard to come by. Like there's no shortage of shitty games. There's just so many of them out there. But a lot of times it starts to feel like I'm doing the same episode. So I'm always looking for, like, what can I say new about this game? Or, um, And a lot of it is just looking for jokes. Like, how many things are in this game that are making me laugh that I can comment on? So that, yeah, that's pretty much the idea. Now, have you ever had any, uh, like, game developers, like, contact you, of like, any of the games you've re- reviewed? Um, n- no, none of, like, the LJN ones or anything like that. Like, any of the ones that you'd like to hear from, I never did. He knew but what I, I was I getting at. Hear, yeah, I mean, I hear from game developers all the time, but, you know, usually um, independent developers or people who are working on new games. Yeah, like, I, there's not really many times where I've heard from somebody who actually worked on one of the retro games right. that I've actually featured in a video. Yeah, it would be cool. Uh, like, you'd think that that would maybe happen more often, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think you need to be more brutal and insulting. I think you just need to <laughs> <laughs> absolutely piss someone off. I don't know how yeah. he can do it any worse than he already is. Sure, He's right. giving it to him. And furthermore, everyone who made this is a piece of shit. I hate you, yeah. I hate your family. <laughs> it would be interesting to hear, like, like, explanations to things but uh, like there's so many different people who worked on those that you just never know like there's probably no one single answer for for things like that like why are there no continues in dick tracy like i don't think we're ever going to get an answer to why (laughs) why did you make this game bad whose decision was that yeah 
Another great uh, thing about your videos uh, for everyone, I think, is watching your nerd cave develop in the background over the years. <laughs> That's been amazing and been the uh, pinnacle of most gamers' fantasies. I mean, are there any games you don't have? Oh, um, there is. Um, I haven't really been actively searching as much because I think I'm at the point where I have, I have, uh, I haven't played most of the games that I own, so there's still plenty to just uh audition sure um but uh i remember one of the things that i tried to do was get a complete nes collection and uh that's probably um the, the one that i have the most pride in that i that, that i've you know actually gotten close to completing uh but there are a few that stick out that i know that were really rare like uh there's those those Panagen games on NES, the, uh, like Hot Slots and Bubble Bath Babes and <laughs> Peekaboo <laughs> Poker. <laughs> They're not impossible to find. They're just really expensive. And is, is it worth it, you know? Sure. And you know they're not going to be titles that's on that little NES <laughs> thing that came out. <laughs> no, not at all. There's such a weird yeah. amount of stuff like that out there. Like yeah. I got this arcade table at home. It's got a bunch of games on it when I bought it. Toward the end of the list, there are, I think, like, seven or eight games that are just, like, Fantasia 2, and it's like playing that game, The Kicks, or The Quicks, however you pronounce it, where you're trying to block off chunks of the screen. Mm -hmm. Every uh -huh. time you complete a section, it reveals a little more of some Playboy spread or, like, some crummy, <laughs> pixelated uh -huh. woman. Oh, my God, dude. Like, is there a market for this? I guess before the Internet was in everyone's home. You worked with what you had. I guess. <laughs> and there probably still is some sick fucks There's out some there. some dude like, out there. Oh, right man, there. I'm almost there. I'm almost <laughs> there. <laughs> There's a game on uh, 3DO. It's called Sex. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Get right to it. <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, uh, we tried it out one time, and um, it, it's porn on a 3DO. That's all. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. Like, it's basically <laughs> like... Uh, like, I guess the precursor to DVD almost, like, it's just barely interactive, you know, <laughs> like, there's no game whatsoever. It's just like, you got like four different clips and you click on it and there you go. There's a scene from like a porno movie in like this really bad quality that looks like, you know, like where it's all kind of scrambled up with the mosaic, you know, it's all <laughs> right. <laughs> Wow, I thought you were going to say it was like something like click where you would like to insert or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. You'd think. think they'd put a little more thought into sure. it. <laughs> Press B to lube up or something. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I've, I've got to ask, though, touching back on the basement, I just adore the video store section of the basement you've made. It, I mean, it looks just like a video store. And I was curious if you like, had modeled that after like an actual store you had visited as a child or if it was just a just a random design. Oh, yeah, uh, just a random design, but, uh, well, not entirely random. It was based sort of just on thoughts I had of what video stores looked like. So it, it may actually look a little bit like certain stores that I've visited as a kid. Um, like, I remember one of them may have had those wood panel walls, so that's something that I, I put in there. And uh, I, I was always a fan of the, the, the really small video stores that always had a unique look to it where like the blockbuster videos had more of like a, uh, you know, as a chain store. So they had more of like a uniform look to it. Right. It was a lot more like clean. It was less cluttered, but, uh, the, those old ones, they were all, they were pretty, uh, 
they were pretty interesting. There was a video store called Video World in the town where I grew Creative. up. Now, yeah, right. <laughs> now, mind you, this is a, a, a town with, uh, like I always say on the show, three stoplights, what uh, two restaurants, and thirteen churches. churches yeah, <laughs> it had, and it had this uh, this one video store, and it was in the little tiny side room of what was an like a mechanic's garage, like an auto garage. So, like while you're in there looking for your movies, you're and all that stuff. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I guess that's you, not perfect. That's that's. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Right, right, exactly. But, you know, you go in and uh, there would be movies that you would see there that you never, like, saw anywhere else. And uh, I remember that one more than I remember any other ones. I like love that. Store. I love that Clerks. video score on culture. Oh, yeah, 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 and Clerks, very much like that. There was a oh, yeah. place like that in Austin when I lived there, Vulcan Video. They got a few locations around the city, and they've got the weird stuff. It's all, like... They've got a section that's blocked out by director. It's like a movie nerd's movie store. Mm. It's very much for the tiny, tiny subculture that's super, like, foaming at the mouth for old, weird movies. Sure. I love yeah. that. And you just don't see it anymore. There is, like, a new, like, uh, it just seems like there's a VHS cult, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like there's a lot of people who remember it the same way. And, uh, like, it's actually, it, like the video games, it sort of has its own, um, it has its following still. Yeah, if only I could find a uh, reliable VCR. Every one I buy just craps right. out on me. Either that or really? the tapes just... <laughs> yeah. yeah, they stretch and stuff. Yeah, I still have all my VHS, though. I re- I've told you I've recorded uh, Simpson episodes for years. I've got like mm-hmm. 20, 24, 25 VHS just full of commercial-free Simpsons somewhere. But, Maybe uh, you shouldn't release that information to the public. I already have before. It's oh, okay. no damage can be done at this Someone's point. Someone's going to repel in through the window <laughs> and haul you off. If you're ever uh, like really interested in watching uh, documentaries about VHS collecting and video stores, there's two of them that I've seen that are amazing. Forgive me if I mess up the titles, but uh, one of them's called uh, Rewind This, <laughs> and the other one is Adjust Your Tracking, and uh, both of them are really good. I want to check that. I wonder if that's one. This sounds familiar. Actually, yeah, it does. Yeah, there's also another uh, film, uh, but that that isn't a documentary called "Be Kind, Rewind." Uh, oh, I've seen I, that. Yeah, I love that. It's um, fantastic. It's such a weird, quirky movie. Yeah, Jack Black, it's, if I remember right. That's yeah. I think yeah. I know that. Yeah. It's directed by uh, Michelle Gondry. Um, it has uh, most deaf and um, Danny Glover in it, I believe. And uh, they, they run a video store, and they accidentally erase the tapes. Um, yes. And they have to, like, recreate the movies, um, and that's where it gets really fun. I remember yeah, that. I've yeah. never seen that. Oh, yeah, and then they end up creating their own original movie, and there's just, like, it kind of has that, like, you know, that uplifting, like, feel-good quality to it. That's, I'm going to have to watch that again. I know like I've seen that before. Real bad version of Star Wars or something they did in there. The scene yeah. I always come back to is when they're recreating that bit in Men in Black when they're driving on the uh, top of the tunnel. So they've got, like, this rotating mechanism with, like, little toy cars on it, and they're filming it upside down. And, oh, my God. It's the best. Yeah. It's a, like there's this whole montage where they're just remaking, you know, Rush Hour and, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey and, like, all these movies. There's got to be, like, a following out there for Sweden movies. Somebody out there must be doing the same thing, you know? I believe there was, because I I actually would have liked to do—done some of them. I just never got around to it. But I I think I have seen that there's 
been a lot of movies where they're sweeted, which is what they call them in Become Rewind. And it would be like, you know, you you take Back to the Future and you would you would do it in like the, the most zero budget way you possibly could. <laughs> like it's basically like just get the image on the screen in whatever way possible. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've seen it, but I gotta I gotta watch yeah. it again. It's almost got ideas rolling, right? <laughs> Candair Films coming soon. Oh yeah. <laughs> Another thing we have to touch on is the movie, the Angry Video Game Nerd movie, uh, produced uh-huh. by yourself and Kevin Fenn. And I I just got to watch this finally, and my God, what a fun movie this was! Bravo to you on the, oh, that. Thanks. Some things I want to touch on, though. We we have a lot of uh, guests on the show who are crowdfunding their projects, whatever they may be. And mm-hmm. uh, it was fun to learn that this whole movie was crowdfunded. Was that like done on Kickstarter? How did you do that? Oh, yeah, um, it, which is really impressive uh, how much uh, they gave us. But, uh, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's obviously like a really, really low-budget movie. But for something done on the Internet where it was just like, hey— uh, if you want to be able to see this movie, then here's how we we got to make it so that the fans came through and they helped us out and we we made the film. Um, so yeah, it, it was amazing. So it's just an amazing experience all around. I can imagine, especially for you. I mean, you know, this is your dream, and there you yeah. are doing it. And the cast was fantastic. Uh, Jeremy Suarez, uh, who played Jordan on Birdie Mac. Do you, me- do you remember mm-hmm. Birdie Mac at all? Yeah. He was he co-starred in the movie, and I just I got off on that. I love him. I, <laughs> Bernie Mac show was one of my guilty little pleasures. So to see him again was awesome. And then Robbie Rist, uh, the voice of uh, Michelangelo from the 1990s Turtles movie, did the voice of the alien in your movie. Yeah, also um, totally awesome to see. And I'm guessing you're probably about as big a TMNT fan as I am. So that had to have been surreal. Yeah, definitely. And like that, we actually. Um, like we met with him too. Like he didn't just record the voice and send it to us. Like we actually went there in the studio with him, and you know, like that was cool. Just you know, seeing him in person and, and being able to like you know direct him on on like the voices. Be like, oh, can you try this one this way or whatever? And like he he was really professional when it came to voicing animatronic creatures because you know, who who else could do it better than somebody who did it for <laughs> the Ninja Turtles? You know, sure. Absolutely. Um, we had a really amazing cast all around, like, because we, you know, we went to L.A., we worked with, like, professional actors, so these were actually SAG union actors. Oh, wow. And, um, and still, even to this day, I'm always seeing them in other things, like uh, Time Winters, uh, who plays Xander in the film, he... Uh, I just saw him as Julius Caesar in a Geico commercial recently. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, and also... Um, um, Davis Dasmalsian, Dasma- uh, forgive me if I butcher his last name, but he was great. Um, we used to talk about horror films a lot. And uh, I remember I've seen him uh, in Ant-Man. I've also seen him pop up on Sven Gulli. Um, and he, he's popping up all over the place, um, which is really awesome. And, uh, I mean, I could go through every cast member we ever worked with, but it, it would take forever. <laughs> sure, sure. And you had some uh, pretty impressive names uh, on your uh, on your cast list there. Again, such a fun movie. A low-budget movie that when you're watching it, it doesn't occur to you. It's a low-budget movie. That's, that's well done. Oh, nice. Awesome. Uh, <clears throat> but the journey into getting this movie made was a rather long one, right? Like you said, the production was like seven years, right? Wow. It was like if you count by the time we actually started making it, 
um, it was 2012 was when it like actually was happening. And then it was finished by 2014. So pretty much all 2014, by the time the thing was like all done and out, it was like a three year intense process, but there was like a good four or five years before that, where it was writing the script. So it was like years and years of like, you'd, you'd write the script and then you come back to it later, fix some things up and I would keep going back and forth working on the the regular videos, and that was what occupied like 99% of my time. So the script was just something you you did when you had free time every now and then. So it was really, really slow, I mean, which is the way most scripts are, I assume. It's just something you do in your free time. So it takes forever. <laughs> right. So, yeah, imagine. overall in total, it was probably like an, an eight-year process before the thing was finally all done. And that counts, like getting it all into Blu-ray and getting all the bonus features and documentaries done. So, yeah. I can't just sitting here thinking of all the work that would go into a movie. It seems like eight years wouldn't even be enough time. It makes you me know? feel a little <laughs> nauseous <laughs> yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Now, it was during the production of this movie also that uh, uh, news obviously broke of the uh, E.T. landfill excavation, you know, that finding mm-hmm. the games. I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but I have to uh, ask you. You know, I mean, no one I heard about it. I was one. Oh my mm-hmm. God, it's true. You know, yeah. <laughs> like who would have ever thought? Uh, but uh, two, then I wondered about your movie. Now, after watching it, I see you know it really doesn't make any difference as your movie kind of takes its own turn on that mythology. But initially, there's when- no UFO in there. but when you when that news initially broke during production at first was there any uh panic initial worry well i mean as soon as that 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 was announced i mean uh we we were actually talking with them about like you know flying me out there when they they did it um like i was going to be part of that documentary and then they were going to uh, you know, have something, some involvement on like the bonus features on ours. And it just didn't work out because the day they did the dig was on uh, my daughter's one year birthday. Wow. And it was just really bad time because she, you know, she had um, such a crazy year and it was such a good celebration on, on her birthday. But uh, uh, yeah, where am I going with this? Uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to be involved. Uh, actually, what was the question again? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just whether or not there was uh, any initial worry or concern when the news broke about the E.T. landfill, you know, having that they found them, that the myth had been debunked. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I knew that they were they were there, but um, it just depends on what your version of the myth is, because it was never really a myth. Like it was documented. It was like in newspapers and stuff back in the 80s that they that Atari buried all these games there. But there was sort of like I think where it became like a myth was when there was talk that there was two million unsold cartridges out there, um, which still to this day has never been found. So if there really was two million, then there would have to be another spot. Because, like, that landfill was kind of just a generic landfill where, like, there wasn't just E.T., there was Centipede, there was Pac-Man. It was pretty much just an Atari landfill. It was Mm -hmm. just a a dump. It wasn't necessarily the E.T. landfill. So, yeah, that's pretty much it, that there could be two million cartridges out there somewhere. But whatever case, with our movie, we knew that that was the spot that everybody always referenced. So we wanted to make it all about that. Like, oh, there's this there's this desert in new mexico and we kind of 
you know, it has more like a Raiders of the Lost Ark type <laughs> of feel to it. Right. So that was just perfect for the movie. And then the movie, of course, is so out there. It's so fantasy. It's like there's no, you know, it, it exists in a science fiction genre. So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot different. The only thing that matters is if like, I mean, does it, it does it take your interest away? If you, if you, you know, if, if, is that the whole hook of the movie that you want to know, uh, like whether that they're found or not? Cause they, I mean, they are found in the movie too. So, so I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud about it. Yeah. I just uh, it's something that I had no idea about until it actually happened. So I, Same you here. know, I had no idea that that had been documented. I just thought it just was word of mouth. So and so said to so and so said, and well, that's what most people seem to think because it really did blow up at that time, and then it was like the the myth is true, and and then you know, so it's really just uh, the way people perceive things is what gives it like a a myth kind of status. So. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Now, another thing I wanted to ask you about was the movie premiere. This movie premiered at the Egyptian Theater, correct? Yeah, that was and, amazing. Yeah, the same place Return of the Jedi <laughs> premiered. Yeah, that's now, right. being someone who, you know, decided very young that you wanted to make movies, and many years later, standing at the front of this theater about to premiere your movie, what was going through your head? I mean, I can't imagine the feeling. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just... Uh it was incredible. It was like, like, it's hard to believe it actually happened. Like what was going through my head? I mean, there wasn't like at the very moment, uh, it, it, we were, we did the speeches, everything was perfect. But leading up to that, it was just technical disasters, you know, just trying to get the, the, the film, the sound, right. It looked beautiful, but, um, it was missing some of the surround sounds. Like there was actually like a couple speakers where like the most of the music comes out of, and that was all like missing. And we got it perfect. Um, like where it just sounded, um, it sounded excellent. Like it was just like when you, when, uh, like a grenade explodes, like you could actually hear the, the explosion, like go over your head and come, go into the back of the room. And, um, then when the movie actually screened, then then some of that sound was missing again, and and uh, that was kind of disheartening. But still, like nobody else noticed. It's not like unless you were the one listening to the movie for so much, you you wouldn't have known that. Sure. Um, but when you're screening a movie at at different theaters, like you never know what's going to happen. So there always seemed to be a technical issue at every theater where we screened it. So it was like this constant running up to the balcony and going to the projection booth and coming back down to see what it looks like. Cause the next one we did was at Comic-Con. I mean, actually it was outside of Comic-Con, but it was, uh, you know, during the festivities and at a theater down the street. And, uh, I remember we had, uh, issues with the audio sync where in that room, it was like going out of sync and we spent hours and hours trying to fix it. And then, you know, it, every time we ever screened it, it was like technical issues. So, so you didn't have time to stand back and take it in. It was just like, <laughs> what could happen next? Yeah. yeah, like like in a in a in a perfect world, you'd imagine that you just walk in and then it's like you just bring the Blu-ray in and then um, <laughs> like, hey, here you go, play the movie, and then everything works and it's perfect. And even when you plan, you plan in as early as you can in advance. Like we we'd show up to every theater like at the earliest possible, you know, um, you know, time we can. And 
it would just be trying to iron out technical issues. And, and I remember like that day we didn't even eat. We were like, we just were working on trying to fix that thing the whole day. And I remember after that, then we did this long autograph signing that like wrapped around the building. And I just remember being like just starving. <laughs> and I remember like fans were actually start bringing us like hot dogs and stuff. Nice. <laughs> That's wow. how you know you've made it. I was just yeah. going to say, we've never been brought a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, if you're not suffering for what you do, then... Well, that's cool. I can't imagine the stress levels, though, you've been experiencing, but uh, damn, yeah. one can imagine. It's horrible it to believe like, that it's that know, bad at a theater, trying to play your own a DVD, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Um, like, everything. Like, I remember the pack screening we did. Like, everywhere we went, it was just, like, technical issues. And, you know, you could make your, your life a lot easier. Just put it on YouTube, and there you are. But, <laughs> but that... Uh, that extra, you know, feeling of being able to be in a room um, when people are, uh, you know, actually experience it with an audience is, is it's a priceless thing. Like you don't really get that opportunity too often. Right. Um, so this movie is definitely a crowd reaction type of film. And that was the most amazing thing was just night after night seeing people like laughing at all the right parts. And like it was just like. An, an amazing reaction, like in, in every theater where we played it. Well, congratulations to you on that, man. That's that's phenomenal. Only well, you could oh, bottle thanks. that feeling up and sell it on, you know. Yeah, I'd buy it. Oh man, <laughs> I'd be hooked within yeah, a week. Yeah. Now I'm like trying to find the the, the perfect balance because I'm like I know there's just no way I can physically uh, go through that again. Like there's just no time. I mean, I would do it, but it's like there's no time like in my domestic life to be able to fit that kind of thing in. Right. Uh, Cause that was just like all consuming, uh, to, 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 to do that. So I, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, well how do I fit the next one? And like, wh where do I do it? Uh, basically like the priority is the web series. And then whenever there is some free time to work on something else, but I think it's going to be something that's more of a, like a focused story of just like a, like a small type of thing. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not like um, where there's all these special effects and it goes into all these different locations. It's a big adventure. Like this one I think will be more like a claustrophobic type of horror film or something like that. Um, there's a bunch of ideas that I have, but I'm just trying to narrow them down. And right now I'm so busy with the web series that I don't even have time to think about a film again. So sure. hopefully soon. So hopefully like in the next year or two. At least you can be comfortable knowing whatever format your next big project takes, or if you just want to focus on the web series, you've got a dedicated enough fan base that you, you don't have to feel like you're taking a risk by doing or not doing something. Yeah, it's like you got to do something that you'll enjoy. Yeah, like if you do something that's just playing it safe, then it's like it's not really a lot of fun. Yeah. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, right? <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> I haven't experienced it yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Well, I was just going to ask you what the future holds uh, for Cinemassacre and any uh, big projects coming, but it sounds like you uh, kind of already answered that question. Uh, yeah, with the film. Um, I mean, well, with like that's the goal always is to try and do another film. But then I also, you know, stop and and think just in the moment, like from video to video like in any web series no matter how big or how small like you know just to live in the moment and just you know enjoy each thing 
but you know I got to keep them coming out. I mean, it, it's also a lot of work, but um, but I, I have the luxury to pick what I do. Like I don't have this the subject matter or like the topics in any of the videos is still like something I choose. So that's that's always a good thing. Man, I wish we could do that. I want to make a living doing this show. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's it's really tough. Um, I can imagine. Like obviously, there's so many benefits of having a real job. You know, you get health insurance and everything sure. like that. Um, but like working on your, uh, you know, your own thing, it's uh, it's it is tough to to be able to like actually make a living off of it. I'm still gonna strive though. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. Doing it. I'll, I'll go through it. I just I want to I want to do this. Well, before we cut you loose here, I just I wanted to ask you about a, a few movies that are coming up here. One. Uh, the Mummy with Tom Cruise. I was you're, you're a huge Universal horror fan, and supposedly this is possibly going to be the first movie in a Universal monster reboot. I was curious to hear what your thoughts were on that. Oh, I think it. Uh, I mean, I'm excited about them. Uh, anything with Universal monsters because those are just like you know my favorite characters, mm-hmm. um, and I, I always like to see them doing new things with them because. You know, they, they, they seem to be absent a lot of times. What I'm excited about mostly is just getting the monsters all together in one film, which seems like the end goal with all this, but they have to do each monster first. It seems like with Dracula Untold, they failed, and they kind yeah. of were like, yeah, they were like, oh, this is going to be the first of the new shared universe of monsters. And then after that came out, then they were like, no, actually, the mummy is going to be the first one. That's a so. good move because Dracula Untold. It didn't blow okay. my mind. I was excited at first, but eh. yeah, it was it was kind of weird because um, like I'm trying to remember now. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but how like Vlad Tepish was like it. Did, it seemed like they weren't really sure whether to make him a villain, right, or, a hero or an anti-hero. I mean, for God's sake, you got a scene where the man strides into an army of Turks, impales every single one of them, and then goes yeah. back to his castle and he's like, oh, i got to save my wife and my family, and it's all about protecting the innocent. Like, dude, yeah. you just made a forest. Nobody thinks yeah. you're this cool, merciful guy. Uh-huh. I tell you what, though, Charles Dance is like the ancient master vampire in that movie absolutely the high point i love that guy pretty much everything he does i'm down i don't remember that as much uh, the memory of that movie's uh, a little blurry now i can't blame you there because there's really oh, yeah. not a hell of a lot to remember so. <laughs> but if i do see it again i'll, I'll uh, check him out yeah he was like the sole watchable element i was just like ah sweet yeah there's certain movies like that where there's like maybe one supporting character that really holds your interest uh, another movie I wanted to ask you about really quick. I know you just uh, watched the Power Rangers for the first time uh, recently. So, mm-hmm. and you mentioned in your video you're going to go be seeing the movie. Are you? Do you have genuine excitement for the movie? How do you feel after watching that original series? Uh, I feel drained after watching the original. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I am looking forward to that just to see uh, how that all comes. I just hope it's just you know a fun movie, um, but. Uh, it does seem like it's taken a little bit too many cues from uh, the, the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Ho- hopefully it it doesn't look so similar 
I don't know how to, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's got that kind of more is more design aesthetic where everything's plated and tubed and overlapping yeah. and just like nothing's clear on the machine. Which I think you kind of have to do. I mean, you can't have the Rangers oh, sure. running around in spandex nowadays. You know, it's just not going to work. I'd watch the hell out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, uh, I'm not too keen on the way the new Megazord looks. I'm sold on that original yeah. look. But, it's uh, got to be chunky. Again, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? They, they can't bring that back, too. They're going to yeah. update it, make it look cool, but. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to Kong. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be so cool. much good stuff coming out this summer. Uh, what else we have? We got Logan coming out. Is the new Guardians mm-hmm. coming out? Yep, there's Alien. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm still catching up. I've been getting my into this conversation. I've getting my balls busted <laughs> on the show here because I had never seen the Alien movies, and I I just started last week. Well, I watched the first one, and now Alien's oh, all cool. the news. Ghost in the Shell's <laughs> coming. Oh, yeah. I don't have high hopes for it, but I tell you what. Ghost in the Shell. Oh, yeah, that's right. Even if the movie's not very good, I love the trailer. Yeah. Like, it'll be one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was a sweet trailer. (laughs) So the conversation will die right there. (laughs) If the movie's bad, at least I've got the trailer. It's like the same when people are talking about how, you know, Watchmen strayed too far from the book or they didn't like it or Mm -hmm. it was garbage, you know. I'm just like, yeah, but they gave us the best Watchmen music video of all time in the intro sequence with, you know, Bob Dylan. (laughs) Oh, the Bob Dylan song. It's like, come on, dude. If you didn't like the rest of the movie, that That first bit was worth the price of admission. Very cool. And there's a War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. I am stoked on that. That was one of those great movies. movies. You haven't seen any really? of them, no. It's it's definitely worth the watch. Is it? I have, man, I have spent worse I'm not Friday sure about James Franco anymore. Yeah. Well, he was only in that, uh, in the Dawn. Oh, he was in the sixth one, huh? He was only in Dawn of Planet of the Apes. Yeah. There was, what was it, Dawn, or Rise, and then Rise, War? Rise, yeah, he was. Yeah. Rise, Dawn. War. Yeah, you would think of the, of the new ones, Dawn just being the word Dawn. <laughs> yeah. or something. I guess it's kind of like the Night of Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Like it's kind of confusing. If you, yeah, I could see if someone who's not familiar would think Dawn would obviously come before sure. Day and Night. But you know, there's well, there's something, some other movie that was. Uh, I mean, I know if you want to go all the way to December, the obvious is Star Wars. Oh, sure. oh my God, I can't wait. What do you What yeah. do you think of that uh, that title, The Last Jedi? Any any. Uh ideas of what we could expect what are you thinking i almost feel like we just saw the last jedi i thought like the yeah. force awakens that would have yeah. been a great title because it's really all about finding the last you know jedi which is luke i mean i, I mean i i'm not gonna get on speculation and stuff but I, I i think it could be referring to somebody else oh absolutely i i just wonder if we're gonna see just a personal feeling the demise of uh luke skywalker in this mm. new one i hadn't considered that angle I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. I typically am. So sleep easy tonight. Well, Jake. now if he if he does die, I'm be like Jeremy, you son of a bitch. you ruined <laughs> oh, this for me. <laughs> it's just cool to see the Star Wars uh, not in its uh, traditional yellow; it's in red. So, That's I mean, wild. It's got to stand for something, mean? right? Yeah. It's got to. Yeah. Don't look at me condescending. Hey, no <laughs> condescension by all means. Live in your dream world. Sorry, James. Go ahead. No, the only thing I thought recently that was kind of uh, slightly disappointing is is that we will never see Han Solo and Luke Skywalker together in the same scene. Oh yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, what? Han Solo and Luke Skywalker never like came back together in the first movie. And then obviously Han was killed, so there's never going to be oh, Han yeah. and Luke in oh, the same man. spoilers scene. Again. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was like, they're still alive. Someone <laughs> by now. Uh, <laughs> I should hope anyway. But uh, yeah. yeah, and then Carrie Fisher. I wonder. Uh, God, you know, it seems shame. like they're just. 
they brought the old characters in just to kind of wipe pass, them off. Yeah, well, yeah pass the torch, yeah. you know. So I would think by the end of the second one, they would had already maybe kind of planned on phasing them out. Thank God I, it's not like Star Wars: The Rise of Leia or something like that, where it's going to no. like derail the whole thing. That, yeah, well. <laughs> A lot of good things this summer to look forward to. I cannot wait. I, I know there's some I'm forgetting about as soon as we hang up. I'm going to kick myself in the ass. But anyway. Yeah, I'm always thinking of things, too. I'm, like, trying to give you everything I can. I'm like, well, what, what what's interesting that people want to hear, you know? <laughs> right. like, and I just tend to babble so much because I'm, like, I try to give good answers. So I'm not just, uh, like... Everything's a long answer. That's the problem. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. When you're recording a radio show, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We'll leave you with one more question here. Uh, for people who are out there aspiring to make their own movies uh, and achieve what you've achieved, what advice would you give them? I guess the best thing I could think of, which I just um, sort of been sticking in my mind recently, was uh, uh, what I said in the beginning about like if you're – as soon as you call yourself a film director, then you're a film director or whatever kind of art it is that you want to follow. Um, it's just like, as long as you're doing it, then, you know, you're there. And you know what? It's like, I, I miss the, the simpler times, uh, when it was just, uh, like I would have another job and then I would, I would come and I would do this. And then once it becomes your job, then it, it becomes like now you're, you're dependent on it. And, uh, it, you lose something that you had before so it's kind of like in a way i'd like to go back to like you know those times when it was just a hobby right. um so so definitely don't underestimate that if, if it's like if it's something that you're you know you're you're struggling to make it into a career uh, as long as you're doing it and you're enjoying it then you know, that's what matters the most that's sound advice. We've heard a lot of answers yeah. to that question, but that one I really like. Kind of yeah. makes me feel better about our current situation. Yeah. You know, we have a blast doing this, but if we spent yeah. too much time here, we'd probably hate each other, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm already yeah. three quarters of the way there. So well, like, fuck let's you not too, push guy. it. <laughs> well, James, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us tonight. This has been really awesome, and uh, just keep up the good work, man. Yeah, I'm honored that uh, you wanted to have me. Thanks a lot. All right, everyone, and there you have it, our interview with James Rolfe, the angry video game nerd. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And don't forget to check out his website, Cinemassacre.com, and all the different uh, shows and movies on there. Hours upon hours of entertainment on there. You'll love it if you haven't seen it already. And uh, be sure to check out the angry video game nerd movie. You can uh, get it for download online. Uh, I bought mine on iTunes. I think you can get it on Amazon. I know it's available on Vimeo. I would strongly recommend, though, buying the Blu-ray copy, which you can get on Amazon, because uh, it has like 10-plus hours of bonus content on it, so uh, definitely getting your money's worth there. And don't forget to follow James in Cinemassacre on Twitter, at Cinemassacre. And then after you do that, be sure to check out our website, CandairPodcast.com, where you can read up and uh, listen to old episodes, check out our Wall of Heroes, uh, and check out our new merch page. Lots going on there, and follow us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. That's all we have for you this week, so until next time, I am Jeremy Colley, and I thank you for listening.
fucking piece of dog shit. They rip you off and don't care one bit. But this nerd, he doesn't forget it. Why can't a turtle swim? Why can't I land the plane? They got a quick buck for this shitload of fuck. The characters' names are wrong. Why is that password so long? Why don't the web... Nintendo nerd. He's the angry video game nerd. I'm bored. I wish we were buzzed. Let's drink Daddy's cough syrup. This is where he keeps the good stuff. You don't need drugs to get high. Talk. You just need the Candam Podcast. That's good advice. Now we know. And no one is half the battle. Just one question. What are you doing outside the window? <laughs> Tell your mama to call me. G.I. Joe! History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.